The information provided on this podcast is for general information purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Reliance on any information provided here is solely at your own risk. This episode is sponsored by Stork. Stork is hosting their next luxury prenatal retreat this fall. Picture yourself at Miraval, one of the most exclusive resorts overlooking the Texas Hill Country. Each day, you'll be treated to farm-to-table meals, spa services, yoga, and more, all while sprinkling prenatal education from some of the best maternity professionals, leaving you and your partner feeling more prepared and relaxed going into parenthood. On top of these classes and workshops provided on-site, you'll have access to four or more on-demand classes to watch at your own leisure. For more information on this priceless investment in your growing family, visit storkatx.com retreat, also linked in the show notes. Space is limited, and don't forget to use code BIRTHBABY for $200 off. Welcome. This is Birth, Baby. Your hosts are Sierra Morgan and Samantha Kelly. Sierra is a birth doula, hypnobirthing educator, and pediatric sleep consultant. Samantha is a birth doula, childbirth educator, and lactation counselor. Join us as we guide you through your options for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. Let's talk about the golden hour. Today, we're going to talk about what it is and what it looks like from the parent's perspective. There will be an episode that follows this one where we're going to go into the golden hour from the baby's perspective. So let's dive in. Okay, first, let's just talk about what the heck it is. So you will hear We'll talk about different stages of labor and the golden hour is basically after your baby is born and after the placenta is born so i'm going to break down what the different stages of labor are the first stage of labor is anything from zero to 10 centimeters dilation the second stage of labor is from when you're 10 centimeters dilated until when your baby has been born and then the third stage of labor is from when your baby's been born until your placenta has been delivered. So the golden hour is that hour after your placenta has been born. Um, this is a time that's really, really fragile and delicate for parents. And we want to make sure that we really protect this space and doing so can really help uh, lessen negative outcomes. So things like excess bleeding and things like that. So when you hear about the third stage, that's usually the one that people hear mentioned the most, the one where it is the baby born to when the placenta has been delivered. And that can take some time. And depending on your provider, they may be okay with it taking a certain amount of time, maybe not very long. Some are like, okay, let's wait a little bit longer and allow it to happen. So Samantha's going to break down for us what the different management models of the third stage look like so you can kind of decide what you might be comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. So there are three different kind of typical management styles of the third stage of labor. And there's going to be, you know, some variation between different providers and what they do and how they address those things. So if this is something that is really important to you, I always recommend bringing it up with your provider, your specific provider who is there that day, 
to kind of figure out what they normally do, what they are comfortable with, because there's gonna be so much variation between each provider. So the first one that we have is what we would call expectant management. So expectant management is when the provider is kind of sitting back and allowing the birthing person to deliver the placenta kind of all on their own. So typically this would include that dim lighting. We're not having like, you know, that bright spotlight shining down on mom. Um, they aren't, you know, they are not pulling at the, at the placenta. They're not pulling on the cord. We're not doing a whole lot of fundal rubs or running any sort of medications. We're just kind of waiting for the placenta to deliver on its own. Typically with this model of care, the placenta is going to deliver within about five to maybe 30 minutes after the birth of the baby. Um, after about 30 minutes, we're probably looking at some more intervention because the risk of, um, of additional bleeding does go up the longer that the placenta stays in. So that would be the expectant management of care. This is what you're typically going to receive when you have the midwifery model or when you have just kind of a more hands-off provider. Yeah, we do see this sometimes in a hospital setting. There are a couple of doctors and OBs that we refer to in, in our area. Um, so it'll be really important to just ask questions to your provider about what their management style is for the third stage of labor. And they'll probably be pretty impressed if you're saying, what is your management model for the third stage yeah. of labor? Yeah. And the, the next stage of labor, and this is the one that we most commonly see in the hospitals, like she said, we do see some who are practicing more of a, of a, um, expectant management style, but mostly we're going to see more of the active management. So active management would be that as soon as the baby is delivered, uh, the provider is applying some cord traction, which sounds exactly, it, it is exactly as it sounds. They are applying a little bit of pressure to the cord uh, to help the placenta to deliver. Um, in a true active management style, they're going to be using that cord traction. They're going to be doing a fundal massage to basically get the uterus to release from the uterine wall because you know, there's not a whole lot we can do to force the uterus to release. Placenta. Sorry. Like placenta to release from the uterus. Placenta, wall. not uterus. Your uterus is not coming out of you. <laughs> Like, I hope important not. note, <laughs> the placenta. So we want the placenta to release from the uterine wall. And so um, they might be doing some fundal massage to get that placenta to detach. And then they would be applying the cord traction to basically uh, deliver the placenta for you. Uh, most providers, as soon as the placenta is delivered, are going to run uh, Pitocin. So typically what we see most commonly in the Austin area hospitals, and I think is fairly common across the United States, is they run uh, about a bag of Pitocin after the placenta has been delivered. There are some providers who might run the Pitocin a little bit um, sooner, like maybe as the placenta is detaching, they have you start running the, um, the Pitocin or the nurse start running the Pitocin. Um, and the reason that they do it this way is that uh, they feel that the quicker they get the placenta out and the, you know, the, the quicker they get the uh, uterus to clamp down, the less risk of bleeding that you are going to have. Because when we're talking about like a postpartum hemorrhage or 
additional bleeding after a baby is born, that risk happens after the placenta is delivered because placenta is going into the uterine wall and there's all these like blood vessels that have been feeding your baby and we need the uterus uh, to kind of shear that placenta off and then to clamp down on itself to stop the bleeding. So if the uterus does not clamp down quickly, then we do see a good bit of bleeding afterwards and that can be dangerous for the mother. So that's kind of the, the active management model. This is what um, most obstetricians are taught and this is what a lot of them practice. Okay. Now I'm going to go a little bit. Um, I feel like we're on the midwife's cauldron right now. Cause I'm the <laughs> one who's going, okay, I'm going to say something that maybe I shouldn't say, but in class, I often have people go, if you're saying expectant management is fine. Why are so many providers in hospital? So wanting everything to be pushed more quickly? Why do they want to rush everything? And that's kind of the way that people will look at it as being rushed. But I do want to say, I don't think that this is like the fault of the providers. I don't think that it is coming from a place of, um, you know, they're not wishing any ill will. They're not trying to harm. However, we do have to remember that this is a business. They are running a business. They are in a hospital. There are a lot of people having babies here in the Austin area. We are overrun. There are constantly people that have induction scheduled that are called and told, oh, don't come in yet. We don't have room. So think of it from a business perspective. First of all, the doctor can't leave the room until your placenta has been delivered. So they have to wait. And if they are waiting for your placenta to be delivered for 30 minutes, instead of getting it to come out at five minutes, that's an extra 25 minutes that they spent in that room. And if somebody is pushing in the other room, they may be having to pay a hospitalist to go in there and help them with that other delivery. And then that person doesn't get their doctor, right? So that's one piece of it. And then another piece of it is when they're doing the active management with Pitocin after the placenta has been delivered, because they're trying to reduce the risk of postpartum hemorrhage, that is so yes, so that you don't bleed too much, but they have to come back in if there's too much of a hemorrhage going on. So now that doctor had already moved on to another room. They had already kind of checked your box off and now they're having to come back in. So it does make their job harder and it kind of makes them go and more be pulled in more directions. Now, I always say in my birthing class, it is not your job to make their job easier. So if you don't want prophylactic Pitocin postpartum, you can tell them that and say, I only want it if I am having, you know, too much bleeding. But then there mm -hmm. are also some people that do want prophylactic Pitocin and they do want to reduce the risk of that because everyone always, if, if you know me, you know, I always say, I'm going to give both sides. And if you do bleed too much and, you know, you might feel extra tired, you might not have as much energy, you might have um, more of an issue with breast milk production because you're dehydrated because your body's still trying to recover so much harder. So there are, you know, some benefits definitely to not bleeding too much, but it is a standard procedure for them to run Pitocin in most hospital, well, in all of the hospitals in the Austin area, it's just what they do. So ask your providers, ask what the hospital's um, policies are. And always remember that in the end, it is your choice as to whether or not you're going to say yes or no to being allowed. Okay. I interrupted you. Go ahead, Samantha. I'm off my soapbox now. No, I love it. We love soapboxes here. Uh, so we, you know, we talked about like the active management, expectant management, there is a middle ground and we do see a lot of providers that do practice this more middle ground approach so 
uh, we would call this a mixed management style, which is where they're kind of combining different aspects of the active management versus an, an expectant management. So typically what we see when we're talking about mixed management is we see the provider um, when the when the placenta or sorry when the baby is born and placed on the mother's chest we see the provider uh, kind of just sit back for a little bit and give a certain amount of time they everybody is going to have a different uh, a different kind of prescription for what their time is but they're going to kind of sit back let it happen they might apply some light cord traction to encourage the placenta to deliver um, and but they're not kind of like reaching in there and swiping around or grabbing at the at the cord and trying to yank anything out. Um, they're waiting for the placenta to release on its own, and then they would still help you deliver the placenta by applying that cord traction so that you aren't actively having to push out the placenta. Um, and then typically with that mixed management style, we do still see that prophylactic Pitocin after delivery. Um, so why do these different things matter? You know, I, I touched on it briefly, but the risk here is, uh, is of a postpartum hemorrhage, which can be caused by what we would call a retained placenta, which is where your placenta does not deliver in the prescribed amount of time. Different providers are going to have different times for what they would consider a retained placenta. Typically, it's anywhere from 18 minutes to an hour is what would be considered a retained placenta. Most providers- minutes. This stuff makes me laugh. Eight. I know. Most, most providers after about 30 minutes are going to start getting a little bit more active. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't really know the like exact um, rates of, you know, what the increase is right there. Uh, you know, of like, if you wait for 20 minutes, what's your risk of a hemorrhage? If you wait for 30 minutes, what's your risk of a hemorrhage? Those are great questions to ask your provider and kind of talk through with the professionals who went to school for this. And I'm sure it's somewhere on evidencebasedbirth.com, or I'm sure she has a podcast about it. So shout out to EBB. Don't doubt it. <laughs> She's so absolutely. good at that. Yeah, absolutely. Did we miss anything on the different management types? Are we ready to move on? I don't think so. I think those are that's kind of the, the basics of, of active management, expectant management, mixed management. Again, if you have questions about these things, just talk to your provider about it, your midwife, your OB, whoever it is that you're seeing, ask them about it. They're the professionals and they are going to have a lot more information than the two of us. But And I also like to tell people, if you ask questions like this to your provider, not only is their answer important but the way they behave when they're answering your question is important no matter what you're asking about so let that speak to you you know pay attention to their facial expressions pay attention to their tone of voice are they annoyed that you're asking this because they shouldn't be they should be glad that you care enough to be an active role in the whole process of everything and understand what's going on um, okay, so what medications are offered? Well, we just talked about Pitocin, that's offered. We also have pain management options for if you have a repair that needs to be performed. So if you have any sort of perineal or labial tear, you will have an option for pain management. Now, if you already had an epidural, if it's still strong and feeling good, you may not need any additional pain management for a repair. Um, you know, most people do need some sort of repair. It's very common to have at least a first degree tear. 
Uh, second degree is fairly common with first time moms. And I don't want that to scare you. It's just your body opening the way that it wants to open and uh, not something to just like dread and freak out about, but they're able to manage that whether you're at a hospital, home birth or birth center, they usually can repair wherever they are. They're occasionally um, a high enough degree tear at a home birth or birth center to need to transfer, but that's really unusual. So if you don't have an epidural and you need pain management during a repair, you would use, they have lidocaine that they can use. You can have, obviously, ibuprofen is an option, um, but it probably won't kick in fast enough to help the repair. And then also there are, it, but they have ibuprofen that has narcotic in it as well. And then nitrous is a great option. So I was actually at a birth last night where the mom had no pain management throughout labor other than, you know, a doula and things like that, but no medical pain management. And after she had her baby, she needed a repair and it was just a first degree, nothing too big, but she did need lidocaine to be able to repair that. And they said, hey, I know you didn't use nitrous during your labor. We were at a birth center. They're like, but you can use it now for the repair if you want since dad's doing skin to skin. And she's like, actually, yeah, I do want to do that. Enough of this no pain management thing. Let's do that. <laughs> so she had kind of earned that, right? Um, and then she used that and it really helped her through her repair. It helped her relax enough through it. So those are the options for pain management. And then it's also really normal for you to have kind of birth pains or sensations, waves, your body should continue to contract back down. We want your fundus to contract back down. Your uterus has a lot of downsizing to do in those weeks after you have your baby. So very common that when you're nursing, um, if you choose to breastfeed, you will likely feel contractions during nursing. And I will say that the more babies you have, the more intense those after sensations can be. I don't even think I noticed them with my daughter, but with my son, I was like, what is this nonsense? Um, yeah. And I would actually take ibuprofen throughout the day just to manage my after waves from my son when I was nursing because it started to make me not want to nurse. I was like, I'm, I'm an ibuprofen it. So that's also an option. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely get more intense. The more babies that you, that you have first time moms normally are like, Oh, it's just a little thing. And third time moms are like, Oh my goodness. But I will say it's not like, like, you know, transition level waves that you're having at this point. Like it's, it's not like they're crazy, you know, hard labor contractions. It's like cramping, uncomfortable, you know, almost it's, it's almost like, when you're doing a bunch of sit-ups and your abs get really sore, I, I feel like that's what it felt like to me with my with my daughter, um, with my second baby. Kind of feel like it's just early period crampiness. Yeah. And what's funny is labor sensations are more intense than that, but you're expecting to have them. And when you're having the afterbirth sensations, you're like, hold up thought we were done with this part. Nobody told me. So now you can't say nobody told you because birth baby just told you. We told you. That's right. So what happens if we have, if we do have additional bleeding after birth? Because sometimes it does happen. There are certain things that put you at a higher risk for hemorrhage. So when you're talking, you know, going back to management styles, when you're talking about management styles, it's a good thing to know what your overall risk of hemorrhage is based on how your labor is going, 
um, and just your risk factors as a person. So what happens if you do have a hemorrhage? There's a lot of different medications that we can, um, you know, that your providers can use to address those issues. So um, the first line of defense is always going to be Pitocin. So they would run a bag of Pitocin or they might give Pitocin intramuscularly. And this will, you know, Pitocin is it's oxytocin. It's going to help your uterus to clamp down so that uh, hopefully we can get that bleeding to stop. Um, I'm about also, to argue with you. I'm interrupting. <laughs> Sorry. Synthetic oxytocin. You are. Okay. You already knew what I was going to say. I'm like, Pitocin is not oxytocin. Can I give a quick little why? Is that fine? Is that appropriate here? Okay. Here's why. Um, Why is Pitocin not the same as oxytocin? Because Pitocin, which is a synthetic form of oxytocin, and I am very glad we have it because we do need it sometimes. But what it does is it fills those oxytocin receptors in your body, but it does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So that oxytocin love hormone that makes you feel good and loved and all gooey-gooey, that is the really nice part about oxytocin pitocin only does the contracting back down part which oxytocin also does but it's just being used to manage the bleeding not to also make you feel good so all of that lovey-dovey stuff is not used in conjunction with that when it's with pitocin Um, and that's kind of the bummer because your pitocin or sorry your oxytocin receptors are getting filled up but they are not getting filled up with feel-good stuff. The Pitocin is making your body think that you have enough and it's doing its job, but you're not getting the benefits of the emotional piece of that. Absolutely. Yeah, they are different medications. Um, I I, I think I would say, especially in labor, I think postpartum, it can be a little bit different, though there is absolutely still some of the same stuff going on there. But postpartum Pitocin can be a little bit different in, um, I guess, just kind of how you react with it and what it does. But um, so yeah, Pitocin is going to be kind of the first line of defense. Um, and, you know, when, when we're looking at additional bleeding, we're also going to see uh, fundal rubs, which we're going to talk about more in a minute as well. But this is basically them just kind of uh stimulating your Mashing uterus your stomach down. it is not yeah. a massage it's not a massage. um sorry one more thing about pitocin did you say that it can be given intramuscularly or by iv did we yes. touch on that okay good we yeah. talked about so many things with pitocin i just want to make sure so last night we were able to get it um i am intramuscularly mm-hmm. into her leg but then like later she was kind of wondering did i am i still bleeding too much and they're like no and she's like i'm just worried and they said if you want us to put pitocin in your bag of fluids we absolutely can and she's like okay i'm gonna think about it and that's nice to be part of the conversation to be part of like it was gonna maybe give her more peace of mind and that's okay too you guys mm-hmm. it, just because we're saying it's not always medically necessary doesn't mean you can't still make that choice for yourself Absolutely. Absolutely. You are a big part of the decision-making process and that is informed consent right then or that's what that is. Um, So after Pitocin and fundal rubs being kind of the first line of defense, typically what they're going to go to next is a medication called Cytotec, um, which in most cases they're going to administer rectally, which is not as awful as it sounds, I promise. Uh, you typically are not even really going to feel it, but they would give you, I think it's normally like two to three pills, sometimes more, um, 
just right in your bottom. And it's another, uh, it's another medication that can help your uterus to contract down um, and kind of clamp down on those, uh, on those blood vessels that are bleeding. Um, The way that was explained to me when they did it to me was that Pitocin and Cytotec work at a different rate. So mm -hmm. one, one works more quickly and one's more long acting. And so they gave them to me both at the same time because of the intensity of my hemorrhage. Um, So it's, you know, this is even at a birth center, you guys, that they can do this. So there are options everywhere, which is really nice. Right, exactly. Um, Typically, again, you know, every provider is going to be different in how they treat things. But uh, if they've done those things, we're still having some extra bleeding. Um, Normally, the next thing that they're going to offer is a medication called TXA or uh, I'm going to probably just absolutely botch this, but it's I can't believe you're even going to try acid. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, you can probably figure out a better way to pronounce it than I can. Don't uh, at us. Yeah, do not. Uh, it is a medication used to uh, treat or prevent blood loss from a larger trauma, like, you know, that postpartum bleeding or different things like that. Um, so that can be a really beneficial medication that they can offer at that point. Um, then there's also something called methergen, which is sometimes used. And in uh, in recent, I, I would I don't even know how long this has been around. I think it's most mostly come around in the last like year or two. Um, there are some devices that they can actually use to treat those bleedings. Um, there's there's something called a Jada device is one brand. I think there's a different couple of different options out there, but it's almost like a balloon. Um, this is my understanding of it. It's almost like a balloon that they put in your uterus at, to kind of pretend like your uterus is is stopping that bleeding. Um, so I don't, in my understanding, it doesn't actually help your uterus to clamp down, but it will stop the bleeding artificially uh, while they figure out how they can get your uterus to clamp down. Um, so those are some of the options. There's, you know, more coming out all the time, more different devices, different medications. Um, but those are the ones that we personally have had experience with in our practice and what we see being used most commonly. Yeah. And, you know, disclaimer all over the place. We're not medical professionals. We're just telling you from a doula's perspective, like what we've seen used and as childbirth educators, what we teach about. Um, But when you want to know like the risks and benefits and when and why all of these things are used, again, ask your provider. That is completely appropriate to ask them even preemptively and, you know, at an appointment, Hey, in case of hemorrhage, like what things do you have on hand? Like what is the order of the things that you use? Um, those are all, all questions to ask them. So this is just kind of a starting point to get that conversation started for you guys. Absolutely. So tell us about fundal rubs. Oh man, I've heard them called fundal massages and I'm like, that is just the most rude massage ever. Well, let's not call it that. This is another thing that I've had people say, nobody told me about this. And I've had somebody else, I've, I've also heard people say, just don't tell people because <laughs> you don't want to not look forward to it. But I'm a big believer that everything is more tolerable when you have information ahead of time. So what they will do is after your baby is born, they'll hopefully the person's nice when they do it and they tell you to take a deep breath and start letting it out and they will press down on your stomach around where your fundus is or they're looking for your uterus to make sure that it is contracting back down and getting hard so things like um 
if you have a baby very quickly and you're like a super fast labor, sometimes your uterus is like, what, there's not a baby in here anymore. And it kind of needs a little boost of, hey, you're supposed to contract back down now, okay? Or if you had a really, really, really long labor and your uterus is just exhausted and it's been working for a really long time, once the baby comes out, sometimes it's like, hey, yo, I'm too tired to be messing with all this. Help me out. And what happens if that's not contracting back down is that your bleeding is stronger and you're having clots and things like that. So a fundal rub is a way for your provider. They push on your belly, they rub around, and they see if your fundus is hard. And if it's not, um, they're going to continue rubbing and try to get it to stimulate to contract back down. And then that will also help them know, hey, maybe we need a little bit of help from one of those other medications that Samantha just talked to us about. And they'll usually do this like every... It's usually every 15 minutes right after birth, and then they space it out a little bit further and a little bit further. It's also something that you can ask them, hey, can you show me how to do this so I can do this for myself? <laughs> I remember when I had my daughter in the hospital, um, you know, I was 24, and I'm, I have a really weak stomach in general, and I was young. So it was like a bad combination. And they're like, oh, here's how you do it. I was kind of surprised they were telling me. And I was like, hey, we're paying you for me to be here. You you rub it. I'm not doing this. And I looked at my ex-husband. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this when I get home. This is so gross. Like it grossed me out because I'm a wimp. But some people prefer rather than having someone else touch on their stomach, they want to know how to do it and they want to feel it. And I've had some midwives and nurses, because it's not usually the doctor doing this, they're usually gone by then, but I've had some midwives and nurses go, hey, you do want to feel what it feels like to the mom or the person that's giving birth? Do you want to feel what it feels like when it's hard? This is what it should feel like. So if you ever rub around in your stomach and it doesn't feel like this, here are some things that you could do. I think that's mm -hmm. great that they get people involved in their own recovery. Yeah, because there's some things that you can do, like, you know, if, if your bleeding is increasing in that moment, there's some things that might be why your fundus is not where it should be or how it should be. Like, sometimes if it's off to the side, that might mean that your bladder is full and that it's literally pushing it off to the side. And then you go pee and empty your bladder and then it's able to kind of clamp back down again. Or literally 1.30 a.m. last night. That is exactly yeah. what happened. She was like, your uterus is just a little off to the side. I'd really like to get us up and, ha and have you pee. And that fixed it. It was great. Absolutely. Uh, that was when, when I had additional bleeding after I had my daughter. It was because my bladder was so full. Um, and when, you know, they did get me up to go to the bathroom, um, with a little bit of drama, I was able to empty my bladder and then my uterus could do what it needed to do. <laughs> Such a little bit of drama. Shocker that your uterus would be dramatic. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, tell us what to expect when, if you have an epidural, if it wears off. And also, what do we expect if we never had any epidural and kind of what, what it's going to feel like after, after we give birth? Yeah. So typically after you deliver, so normally as soon as the baby's out, sometimes they wait until after the repair is done, they're going to go ahead and turn off your epidural pump if you have one going. It just doesn't mean that, you know, the epidural is going to wear off immediately. So that's why it would be okay for them to turn it off after the baby's born because you'll still have a, a good bit of numbness for a while. Um, while they while they do a smaller repair, if you have a little bit of a more complicated repair or anything else going on, they'll probably leave it on for a while longer, which can be really helpful. Um, but in most cases, the epidural is going to wear off about an hour or two after they turn it off. Um, and 
and you know when when that epidural has worn off um the goal in in we call it recovery is for you to get up to pee uh to kind of you know get yourself cleaned up a little bit i will really you're not getting yourself you have your midwives or your nurses or whoever helping you with that and you know maybe putting on a new a new nightgown to go to postpartum or to be snuggled back into your bed or whatever it is um but that's going to happen about an hour or two after you have the baby if you're in the hospital um most of the time after you get up to pee they're going to then put you in a wheelchair that they would wheel over to postpartum because they don't want you walking down the halls of the hospital you know right after you had a baby with you know some blood loss and different things going on um and you don't want to do that either you're tired you deserve to be treated like you know royalty and rolled rolled around where you need to go um so that's normally what's going to happen after you have a baby if you're at home or you're at a birth center they're going to get you up to pee they're going to get you cleaned up a little bit maybe get you a quick shower and then help you back to bed so you can spend time with your new tiny human yeah at a birth center you typically leave around the six hour mark so mm -hmm head on home. I texted the family that I was with overnight last night and I was like, Hey, are you guys home yet? He's like, yep. Just trying to get little bits of sleep here and there. And I was like, Oh, I just love it for them that they're already home. Um, and you know, you may have a little bit more soreness because you did have to get up and walk out of the birth center and sit in a car and drive home, depending mm -hmm. on how long that is. But, um, typically people heal a little bit faster when they didn't have an epidural because their body's not trying to process the anesthesia. Uh, in a hospital setting, it it sometimes you do feel a little bit more wonky and a little bit more sea leggy after having an epidural. So even yeah. if you if you did or didn't, you usually need help getting up to go to the restroom for the first time. Like even last night, we were assisting her to walk over there because you can get lightheaded, like Sam was saying, and it, it's not always. Um, sometimes your body goes into a little bit of shock after having a baby. Like holy moly, I did it! You know, mm -hmm. no matter how you did it, I did it. So. It'll depend on how many medications were used and, you know, how, what type of delivery, whether vaginal or cesarean, as to whether or not you're able to move around a little bit more on your own. I do find that people that have an unmedicated birth, although they're finding that they're healing more quickly, it's a little bit harder for them to stay stinking still and they get up and yep. they do too much. So the midwife last night even said, and I want you to keep your legs together, you know, mm -hmm. for the next couple of weeks, as much as you can keep your legs together. And it sounds so funny, but it's like, well, you want everything to heal. You want to yeah. be in on around the bed for, mermaid for the legs. first yeah. long time. Yeah. Mermaid legs. I like that. I hadn't heard that before actually. So, um, whatever, whatever way that you give birth, you may have a little bit of a different experience with what to mm -hmm. expect right after, but. So yeah. that should run the gamut there. Yeah, absolutely. So next time we're going to talk more about golden hour, kind of from the baby's perspective and, you know, the breastfeeding and all those different things, medications for baby. Um, so join us next week when we get into more of that. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for joining us on Birth, Baby. Thanks again to Longing for Orpheus for our music. You can look him up on Spotify. Remember to leave a review, share, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.